0: The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 685 for July 28th, 2019. T-Mobile and Sprint get the approval they needed from the DOJ. Apple purchases Intel's 5G business, and Samsung brings back the fold. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey coppas Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first up this week, the United States Department of Justice has given its blessing on the proposed $26 billion merger between T-Mobile and Sprint. Several conditions, including a comprehensive $5 billion deal with DISH intended to create a smaller fourth national carrier, have satisfied the federal government's antitrust concerns. The FCC had previously announced that it would allow the deal, meaning that the deal has now been cleared fully at the federal level. Now, On the state side, New York State Attorney General uh, Letitia James had confirmed on Friday that she continues to lead a coalition Of 14 states in suing to stop the merger of t-mobile and sprint on antitrust grounds the state's concerns include specific issues with the deal blessed by the doj including that dish has never shown any inclination or ability to build a nationwide mobile network on its own and has repeatedly broken assurances to the fcc about deployment of its spectrum also the t-mobile and sprint merger is asking americans to trust that this new megacorporation will act directly against its own economic interests by helping transform DISH into an independent competitor that rivals the new company. In addition to New York, the plaintiffs currently include California, Colorado, Connecticut, D.C., Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Nevada, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Now back to the creation of the new carrier. The requirement of the DOJ was that a fourth carrier needed to be created to continue on into the 5G future. To do so, DISH will be acquiring all of Sprint's prepaid business, including Boost Mobile, Virgin Mobile, and Sprint prepaid, and the 9.3 million customers with those brands along with various Spectrum licenses. Now, from the outset, DISH will have a robust access to the new T-Mobile and Sprint network as an MVNO for a period of at least seven years, giving them time to build out their own physical network. T-Mobile and Sprint will be required to make available at least 20,000 tower sites and hundreds of retail locations to facilitate Dish's building of its new network and business. Dish, like we said, will pay $5 billion to buy the aforementioned Sprint assets with a goal of a new national 5G network, by 2023. Now the $5 billion deal includes two areas, Spectrum and customers, 3.6 billion for 14 MHz of nationwide 800 MHz Spectrum, which it will use along with the Spectrum in the 600, 700 and 1700 MHz bands that it already owns to build that new 5G network. DISH has a history of hoarding Spectrum licenses though and not building any significant network to use them, but that now seems likely to change. On the customer side, DISH will pay $1.4 billion to acquire the Sprint prepaid business, which will include 400 employees as well. Within that deal, DISH has made a commitment to the FCC that it will build its 5G network, capable of serving 70% of the U.S. population by June of 2023. And as an incentive, it will pay a penalty of up to $2.2 billion if it fails to meet that deadline. In the meantime, Dish will have access to that new T Mobile and Sprint network for that period of seven years, and it will also lease T Mobile some of its 600 megahertz spectrum for several years to smooth the transition. Finally, Dish will have the option to acquire those towers and network equipment and retail assets that will be decommissioned as part of the T Mobile and Sprint integration process. Now, let's talk a little bit about what that means for you as a customer. So, Sprint customers will eventually be transferred over to become new T-Mobile customers. But that transition will take a few years. And if you're currently a T-Mobile customer, you actually might not see any changes. However, because the goal of the takeover is to roll out the next generation 5G network, subscribers of both could ultimately see faster service faster. Now, as for customers of the other carriers, T-Mobile has been pushing Verizon and AT&T over the last few years to be more consumer friendly, of course, doing away with two-year phone contracts and offering unlimited data plans. With just three major providers though the worry is then that there will be less incentive to add services that customers like or compete on price t-mobile has promised not to raise prices for a period of three years but they're fair game after that and t-mobile john t-mobile ceo john ledger, ledger has said on friday that the company will continue to be the uncarrier and keep verizon at&t and others on their toes and finally, what about the main reason the carriers have mentioned this consolidation, which is, of course, that 5G network? President Trump had previously mentioned that he wants the U.S. to win at 5G, particularly against China. And both T-Mobile and Sprint have either started or are about to start rollouts in cities of uh, across the country with its their 5G networks. And they have said that they'll be able to do so faster and better now that they're combined. They have promised to cover 97% of the U.S. within three years and 99% within six years. T-Mobile has said that it had planned to launch a nationwide network by itself in 2020, but they have not set any specific targets now that the merger has been consolidated. So time will tell with all of these claims, of course. So let's discuss what happens kind of in the near term so if again you mentioned if you're a t-mobile customer you're probably not going to see much changing here Uh, if you're a sprint customer you're ultimately going to be transitioned over to being a t-mobile customer though if you've got a sprint device you're going to maintain that device and that device is going to have access to the networks that it has access to but when you go to buy a new device say in a period of at some point in the future uh, you're going to now be buying a t-mobile device and ultimately they're going to start consolidating the spectrum and I'm sure eventually transitioning and sunsetting out the existing legacy networks and and use this to build up a more robust 5G infrastructure moving forward.
1: Yeah, and I would imagine that's what they're going to do. And, And I wonder if Sprint's current plans for their 5G network will even be put on hold uh, as this you know as this transition takes place and I wonder if they're going to use the t-mobiles strategy for 5g or if they're going to make some sort of you know hybrid plan in order to roll out that uh, new network because now this will make a very big difference and of course it is good timing uh, for the merger as well because then of course once you've got uh, to, to move customers over then you can move to the new consolidated network once it's uh, uh, you know once you've got new customers but they may start, uh, you know, planning to get rid of the, you know, the the legacy sprint network here at that point in time, which I would imagine they would want to do that as soon as possible to free up that spectrum as well. There's a lot
0: of spectrum at play here, and that's really what's important in this conversation is... When they are talking about consolidation customers are one thing but each is making money off the customers that they have each is building out their own network and and doing that but it's this finite resource that is spectrum and how can they best move forward and we we've talked about you know the acquisition of spectrum through all of the auctions that have occurred over the past couple of years and all of that is important and you've got both the sub 6 gigahertz and then also the uh the the millimeter wave spectrum uh, that are going to be used for 5G networks. But if you can take advantage of having more spectrum because you've got uh, the in, in the lower bands, whether it's 6, 7, 800, even that AWS stuff in the 1700 megahertz band, that's all very valuable. And the consolidation of these two carriers is going to allow for networks to be pushed together especially as we move into this next generation the timing couldn't be more perfect for this and you keep some of this legacy stuff around but the faster they can get everyone onto 5g the faster they can repurpose that spectrum it's the exact same thing that happened with with 2g uh for some of these gsm carriers and it's it just makes all the difference in the world the faster they can break up that stuff and use it for something else moving forward
1: it is, and according to Reuters, T-Mobile is the one who really wanted, who really wanted to take over Sprint, probably to eliminate them as a competitor, but most likely off uh, to acquire their spectrum that we know that you know from years and years ago they had tons of spectrum from uh clear and uh the the clear wires and the YMAX uh spectrum that they'd even had way way back in the day uh and sprint has been holding on to tons of it and have been rolling out of course lte on you know tri-band and all kinds of strange things uh that sprint has been doing with some of their spectrum over the years let's talk a little bit about
0: that that comment about Uh, competition though so a fourth carrier is being created with dish and uh, it's primarily to at least to start a a prepaid carrier they're getting this you know just over nine million customers from these three different brands uh, which will now be part of some consolidated dish brand uh, conceivably and so that seems to make some sense but also is uh it, it almost feels like a, a a process that's going to uh make certain dec- people have to make certain decisions they're they're going to feel like okay this is interesting i'm part of this new brand and perhaps there's incentives to keep people on them whether it's through pricing or other different types of value add types of uh, of things or it's going to push someone the complete opposite direction. They're going to say, I need to find something else, whether it's I want to move to visible and, and be a prepaid customer on the Verizon network or what have you uh, through the cricket brand and the AT&T network. But that doesn't necessarily uh, it's it, it. Again, time is going to tell on how that plays out and, and what this this grouping of, of customers is going to do. That is just kind of the temporary stopgap to get people Onto this fourth network uh, so that there is that fourth piece of competition. But then after that, then what happens? So, all right, we've got this tall order of building a, a brand new network and uh, they've got a timeline. Seven years, it's got to happen by. They've got the ability to go on to uh, certain towers, up to 20,000 of them to make that happen. But there's still, there's, there's no conversation here about... The financial implications of this, um, if they are, uh, you know, how how well capitalized they are, if they've got the cash to be able to make this happen, certainly 9 million people is is a good chunk of customers, but these are prepaid customers. Uh, the average revenue per user is less than a postpaid uh, customer is. So there's there's going to be less money coming in per subscriber. So whether or not this new network that gets built is is ultimately as robust, I think is, is really the question that needs to be asked because it sounds all great. But at the same time, what actually is going to happen, and what's that experience going to be like for those
1: users? Right, and 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 Dish themselves, you know, they've got four years to have actually a pretty significant five G network built out, and they had a. uh, a March of 2020 deadline to have a network uh, rolled out um, from uh, the spectrum that they've been amassing for years and they have significant holdings of spectrum, but they don't have a network on it. And of course, if you think about like uh, what AT&T strategy has been is they are, they now own direct TV and the other satellite company that provides TV. And of course the idea here in media is this uh, bundling. And of course with, 5g and the ability to provide basically home network uh internet service with 5g in the future they see that as the the trifecta of a home utility service where you've got the tv the telephone uh, which of course is your cell phone and of course internet service which you can provide through 5g and of course at&t has you know two and three of those, depending on what market you're in, they actually have landline service for internet and phone as well. So Dish Network is now basically kind of an equal competitor. It still is absolutely crazy to
0: me to think about. We could be using wireless connections for our home internet at some point in the future. And I'm not saying a wholesale change over to it. Uh, But then again, you could have said that about the cell business as well. And and, there's no way we're ever going to fully get away from Landlines, right? But I mean, think about because of all that copper infrastructure that we have. But think about what it actually is—you know, what it means. If it, if there's a way to do it uh, and to provide the spectrum that's uh, or the the speed that is, the capacity, the bandwidth that's necessary based on the the needs of the consumer at the time. If it's easier and cheaper to do, especially in in big areas to you know to do that over a wireless connection, then that's what's going to happen. And uh, we are, I think, for the most part, at a point now where the stability and reliability of, of our mobile networks is such that we're feeling pretty confident that something like this uh, could make a lot of sense. And um, and so this is wild to, to think about. And as you point out, DISH is, is looking at this more than just a, hey, we are looking to build a, a wireless network. It's a, how do we kind of prop up uh, the, the the media and uh, tele- television side of things that we have And um, and and make that piece of it kind of play into our our world here a little bit better. So uh, a very uh, obviously big deal in the world of of telecom. And this is a uh, process that is not necessarily at an end, but really at a beginning for how this is going to impact all of us as consumers. And we will, of course, be following it very closely and talking about it, I'm sure, for years to come. Well, next up, consumers aren't flocking to buy phones like they used to. This year, it's estimated that global shipments of mobile phones will decline by 68 million units, or almost 4%. That's compared to the preceding year, and according to a report released Wednesday by Gartner. The research firm projects this is the worst decrease to date for smartphones. The report attributes the lower demand to customers holding onto their phones longer and to their desire for dramatic changes in experience. Collectively, global device shipments, including PCs, tablets, and mobile phones, will decrease by an estimated 74 million in 2019. Now, to combat that decline, Gartner says mobile phone manufacturers will try to convince consumers with 5G-enabled devices in the coming year. In 2023, the firm expects 5G phones could account for up to 51% of sales, up from a projected only 6% in 2020. Next, the U.S. House of Representatives on Wednesday voted to pass the Stopping Bad Robocalls Act. The Senate passed a similar bill in May, so the two bills will now be reconciled and combined in conference before being sent to the president to sign. With overwhelming bipartisan support, the final bill is expected to become law. Both bills passed so far give the FCC expanded power to punish robocallers violating FCC rules and require carriers to quickly implement shake and stir technologies to authenticate callers and help curb number spoofing. Well, news broke on Thursday afternoon that Apple has agreed to pay $1 billion for the majority of Intel's smartphone modem business. This deal includes approximately uh, 2,200 Intel employees, along with the associated equipment and leases. The deal also includes numerous related patents, though Intel will retain access to some intellectual property for non-smartphone applications. Apple's senior vice president of hardware technology said the deal will help expedite our development in future products and allow Apple to further differentiate moving forward the deal is expected to close by the end of the year and back in april apple had reached a deal with qualcomm to use their modem chips exclusively in order to resolve a long running patent dispute at the same time intel canceled its 5g modem project which was intended for the future iphones and prior to that qualcomm deal apple had used both qualcomm and intel modems in its phones
1: Right, and of course, once they had the uh, the news that they they reached the deal, they canceled it. So uh, it makes sense that Apple would be doing this because, of course, they want to el- eliminate Qualcomm for uh, uh, you know for all the expense and all the trouble that this has yielded. So, what better way to do it than to acquire the Intel business that basically Intel had built up just for Apple, essentially?
0: It is interesting, I think, too, if we uh, if you look at what has happened. Um, you know, over time, where you, you of course, you would looked at Qualcomm's uh, rise, kind of to dominance in this process and, and of of selling chipsets. And uh, in this kind of drop off now that we're seeing and and once Apple finally makes this turn, that's going to be a big deal. This also led to a lot of rumors uh, being uh, dusted off that we have been uh, seeing kind of here and there about what's going to happen with Apple over the next couple of years. And ultimately, a change over to uh, the Intel chipsets will uh, almost solidify the fact that we're going to see a 5G uh, modem inside of an iPhone uh, in 2020. Uh, Apple I don't think is going to be waiting around for this one. It's not happening this year. Uh, don't be looking for a 2019 uh, 5G iPhone, but next year almost certainly that happens. And if now they're they're owning they own this business and they can build these things themselves, pretty much every iPhone I think that gets released next year is going to have this versus just kind of a select few, which is what the original thought was when they were going to be partnering with Qualcomm.
1: Right, and of course, I don't know, 2020 could be a little aggressive for Apple to start building these unless they can actually use Intel to build the chips for them because, you know, right now they're, you know, probably already starting to spec out the next iPhones and to design them, and if they don't actually have the production capabilities for them, uh, for the new chipsets, it may not even be ready for 2020s by this uh, yeah. point in time.
0: It's a, And that's a really good point, that we are, there, there is... Um, I say it's almost certainly, um, but of course the caveat is almost, uh, it seems like it's, it's realistic, but there are, of course, there could be things that could come up and they could make the decision to not do it. Uh, but it's a, this is a kind of a step in that direction. Um, it also, in my mind, solidifies uh, in in some kind of other ways that this year is going to be another iteration type of iPhone that comes out. And that is going to be the push then for the next new device that really gives that experiential difference is going to be the 2020 iPhone. Uh, of course, I have, I have no information other than what everyone else reads. And that's this you know, rumored, uh, you know, devices that we see. But I think that uh, it's this year's devices, again, with the exception of the the, the triple camera on the back is, is going to be largely the same. And I'm not even sure what different means other than just looking for something that has a... Um, uh, you know, a, a more robust radio in it, i.e. a 5G radio. And certainly you you hope that when we get to the point next year, when we're talking about a, an impending iPhone coming out very soon, it's going to be a device that's got a 5G radio and it's got the radios and or the frequencies uh, that are going to be supported by the carriers uh, for the next, you know, coming years. It's, there's still, um, if you look at like the example is the the Samsung S10, a 5G, device that they have it's only got the millimeter wave uh, 5g radios in it you don't have the sub six gigahertz stuff and that's a problem because ultimately that means that we don't have uh, the support in that device that's what we got to wait for with we, we i think apple especially is, is waiting for us to make sure that we've got all of the um, you know all of the bands covered that are going to be necessary for the carriers in order to make sure again that experience for the customer is as good as it possibly can be so uh, more on that of course as we go we'll be have a new new iphone here in just a couple of months and uh, you can almost guarantee those uh, rumors will be heating up as we go through the next couple of months as well in device news, uh, the new Asus ROG Phone 2 builds on the basic design of the original but improves on almost every way, offering a larger screen, larger battery, improved software and faster refresh and response times in every area. Designed for gaming, it includes an extra USB-C port as well as extra antennas and microphones to optimize performance in landscape orientation. The full HD AMOLED screen has been stretched to 6.6 inches, and it sports 120Hz refresh rate, 1 millisecond response time, 240Hz touch sampling, HDR, and Gorilla Glass 6. The battery is a 6,000mAh and supports fast charging via Quick Charge 4 as well as USB PD. It's powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 855 Plus chipset with 12 gigs of LPDDR4X RAM and up to 512 gigs of UFS 3.0 storage. It also supports 802.11 AD gigabit Wi Fi using 60 gigahertz for wireless display. The shoulder buttons have improved latency, haptics, and ergonomic options. The cameras have been upgraded to the same 48-megapixel and 13-megapixel wide cameras found in the new Zenfone 6. It also has an in-display fingerprint reader, front-firing stereo speakers, and NFC. Like the original ROG phone, it has an elaborate cooling system to prevent processor throttling and a new cooling accessory with a fan that is four times quieter than the original and adds an extra 35 millimeter jack for landscape use. Other optional accessories include gamepad controls that can be attached to the sides and used or used wirelessly, and a second display accessory as well. The software includes multiple optimizations for gaming, including per-game options. Users can choose between an Asus interface theme or a stock Google Android theme. The phone will launch in Western markets starting September 4th, pricing yet to be announced. Samsung Wednesday issued a statement that it will launch the Galaxy Fold in September, having improved the design to address issues that cropped up in the review units right before the original launch back in April. Samsung has tweaked the design of the folding display in four specific ways. Number one, the top protective layer of the Infinity Flex display has been extended beyond the bezel, making it apparent that it is an integral part of the display structure and not meant to be removed. Second, the top and bottom of the hinge area have been strengthened with newly added protection caps. Third, additional metal layers underneath the Infinity Flex display have been included to reinforce the protection of the display. And fourth, the space between the hinge and the body of the Galaxy Fold has been reduced. Samsung has also taken advantage of the delay to optimize the user interface of additional applications and services for the unique foldable display. AT&T and T-Mobile had previously committed to carrying the Galaxy Fold. Specific launch details will be shared closer to the new sale date. And Motorola Thursday announced its Moto E6, a $150 Android phone with a 13-megapixel main camera and portrait mode. In the new design, they drop the iconic Motorola look in favor of something more like an iPhone. Motorola calls the design unibody through a a removable battery. Uh, Compared to the E5, the display and the battery are smaller, 5.5 5.5 inches, and a 3,000 hour battery, respectively. The display offers HD-plus resolution. The processor has been updated to the Qualcomm Snapdragon 435, which Motorola says is 50% faster than last year's 425 chip, An improved camera has an f2.0 aperture, PDAF, auto HDR, and LED flash, manual mode, and raw output. It can record full HD video and support both time-lapse and hyperlapse. The selfie camera is a 5 megapixel with f2.0 aperture. The phone has a micro USB port, 3.5mm headphone jack, memory card slot, and dual-band Wi-Fi. The Moto E6 is available from Verizon and will be carried by T-Mobile, Metro, Boost, US Cellular, Consumer Cellular, and Xfinity Mobile as well. In software news, a couple of stories. First up, Apple releasing WatchOS 5.3 and iOS 2.0. this week, resolving, among other things, the exploit that forced it to disable the walkie-talkie feature on the Apple Watch that could have allowed someone to secretly eavesdrop. The WatchOS 5.3 release notes say that the update has provided important security updates, including a fix for the walkie-talkie application. The fix is also mentioned in the release notes for iOS 12.4, with Apple saying the update includes a security fix for the walkie-talkie app on Apple Watch and re-enables walkie-talkie functionality. WatchOS 5.3 and iOS 12.4 are available for Apple Watch users and iOS users, respectively. Once you update, the Walkie Talkie app with service will be fully functional again. And Android Q will include a smarter, richer interface for Bluetooth devices that support Google's fast pair standard. Google made the announcement of the final features and look on the interface as Android two inches closer to the final release in September. With true wireless stereo earbuds, Android Q phones will be able to show individual battery levels for the left earbud, right earbud, and case. fast Pair devices will also now work with Google's Find My Device service. Owners can view the location and time of last use, as well as ring the buds to locate when they are in range. The new interface will also display links to Google Assistant and notification settings if applicable and key additional settings available on the companion application if there is one, such as a custom sound equalizer. More than a dozen devices already support FastPair, with more on the way. Well, no questions or comments this week, but if you have anything you'd like for us to talk about, please send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at
1: thecellphonejunkie.com.